Welcome to The Healthy Beast. In this episode, I'm talking to Mark Barton. He was a doctor for years, working in casualty, stitching people up, putting people back together. And now, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor. First person I've ever met who's done those two jobs. His perspective on both professions is really fascinating. I really enjoy talking to him and I hope you enjoy listening. Mark Barton, head instructor at Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood London. Well, I got that bit right, I think. That's thanks, correct, yeah. thanks, thanks very much for agreeing to talk That's to me. That's right, thanks for, thanks for asking me to come on, the, on your podcast. No, it's a pleasure. Now, your story, you were a doctor, in brief. You were a doctor and gave it up to become a martial arts instructor. That's correct, yeah. Which sounds like a great <laughs> lifestyle choice, but one that I guess people would be surprised at. Yeah, I mean, it was greeted, uh, I wouldn't say disapproval by my work colleagues, but sort of surprise, and a lot of people were concerned about my my well-being, my financial well-being, how are you going to make money doing this and that kind of thing. Uh, but truth be told, it, was, it wasn't a sort of overnight thing. It was something that built gradually and organically. And, and, and I didn't just one day give up. I actually went part-time first for a few years. And then it, it, it sort of became more and more of a viable option for me financially as my hours of teaching increased and, and the club grew. Uh, you know, the academy was, was growing and getting bigger. And, and it, it almost got to the point where I, I couldn't do both anyway. Uh, and I loved the jiu-jitsu far more than I loved my medical career. And I loved teaching so much that it was a very natural choice for me at that stage. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't perhaps as big a deal to me as it seemed to other people. And what kind of, when you were full-time, what kind of doctoring were you doing? So for, for the majority of my career, I was an emergency physician. So I worked in A&E and I also uh, was dual training to become an intensive care physician as well. So I worked in emergency medicine in the A&E department and in, in the intensive care unit. And I got myself, when I left, I was about six months away from being an A&E consultant. So I was... So you what age at that stage? Uh, so I left, so I was about 38 when I left. I qualified in 2001 and I did my last shift at the end of 2014, sort of October, November time. So since then, last four years, you've done just 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 jujitsu. Just yeah, I haven't done another shift in uh, since that time. Because people assume that doctors are all making vast amounts of money, don't they? I think you, you doctors can make vast amounts of money. I wasn't do. making vast amounts of money, but doctors. So I was a, I was a, I was a trainee. So even though I was thirty eight and I'd been qualified, you know, thirteen years, I was still a, a, a junior doctor. Towards the end, I was working part time. Uh, my take home salary wasn't particularly impressive. I think you know, sort of divulge what it was, but it was it, it wasn't much. Um, and it's certainly difficult to live in London and support a family of five on what I was earning at that stage. And not the easiest of jobs to be doing. No, it was it, 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 it was a, it's a super stressful job, um, and. For the longest time, I did love my love my job. I love my career, but things changed. The, the the structure of the NHS changed. The nature of the job changed, and the thing that I had sort of built into my working life to offset the stresses of emergency medicine was intensive care, which is also incredibly stressful. So it was so the the combination of the two, you know, took a toll on me. It took a toll on me. I think uh, mentally, physically, uh, a lot of night work. You know, you face a lot of adversity in, in that environment. And I found it very, very stressful. And, and I, I, the last few years, I became very anxious, actually, at work. Uh, no, not at work, outside of work. I was actually fine when I was at work. 
but I was I encountered a lot of anxiety about work when I left the department. So when you're there, you kind of switch into the... When you're there, you're just on autopilot. You know, this is a job that I did. You, know, you spend tens of thousands of hours doing this job and training to do this job. So I don't know if that's an exaggeration. I added up the amount of hours, but I was, you know, you're there. A lot. You know, a lot. You know, you know your junior doctor. I was close to 100 hours a week, you know, my first my first job. So you rack up your, your hours and your experience very quickly. So you become very proficient at holding it together and, you know, particularly in a leadership role when you're there. But I would ruminate about things that had happened when I went away. I would worry about patients that I saw increasingly and things that didn't affect me when I was 25 affect me, affected me profoundly when I was 35, particularly to do with children when I had my own children. So the job was, was taking a, a toll on me and the thing that was kind of holding me together and was my lifeline was my jiu-jitsu because when I was on the mats I didn't think about any of these things you know all I thought about was that role or that technique and I was with my friends and I loved the environment and jiu-jitsu I think uh, helped me to be able to cope with a lot of those stresses and, and uh, so for me stepping away to do it for a living was a was a privilege not a you know, not, not a not a big hardship. Me leaving a, a job as a doctor, it, yeah. it was it was possibly the other way around. I think the jiu-jitsu was almost my salvation. How long ago did you get into the jiu-jitsu? Jiu-jitsu. Well, I'm a lifelong. I mean, when I say lifelong martial artist, I started martial arts as, as a teenager, but I I did, I did some rudimentary grappling around 2004, 2005, but I didn't really start jiu-jitsu properly until 2006, and that was with a guy called Kevin Chan. And the reason I started grappling was was because of him, because I was strike. I was a, I was a striker at the time. I was doing. I did a lot of karate and, mm. and stand up stuff, kickboxing. And Kevin's a, a Kevin's a, a very well rounded martial artist, exceptionally gifted striker. But he was also a brown belt in, in jiu jitsu. And one, I, I think one Saturday afternoon, I was at his house doing some training with him, and he said, "Look, I know you like." to strike, to do the striking, but I think you'll like this too. Come and try this. And he, we put some mats out in his back garden and he showed me some jiu-jitsu. And at that point in time, I had done some some sort of neiwaza ju- judo type grappling with a, with, a couple of, with a couple of judo guys and, uh, and basically just got destroyed by them and had no, you know, no ability to defend myself at all. But Kevin was a little bit more patient and was teaching me techniques and he sort of gradually got me into it and then one day said, you know, I think you should go up to the Roger Gracie Academy and give this a try, uh, and that was pretty much how I how I got into jujitsu. Did you know? Did you know about it before from the the films? You know, the so I mean, I I mean I'd, I'd seen those early UFCs. You yeah, because I, I got I remember yeah. getting, I got the I want to say it was a VHS, but I think that may be dating it even. Anyway. Yeah, it was, it was definitely you had to go in a shop and. Yeah, I didn't see them that early. I didn't see them that early. I had a friend called Peter Crawford who I I did karate with. We trained in in Windsor, and that karate club we used to we used to train on judo mats, which Mm. was kind of unusual. And the class would finish about nine o'clock, and then everyone would head to the bar. And for a couple of years, Peter would bring a judo jacket in for me, and we would I would slap that jacket on, and we would just have a have a mess around and would have a roll about. And um, and Peter was a, a judo brown belt. He was an aikido black belt. He'd done traditional jiu-jitsu as well as his karate. So he had some knowledge. Looking back, it was very primitive, but it exposed me to the fact that I wasn't very good 
looking after myself once we clinched or once we were in a sort of grappling environment. And it made me curious, I think. And yeah. I think that was why I started to sort of gravitate towards trying to learn a little bit more about grappling. But at that stage, I was definitely a karate guy. It's a weird thing, though, if you're... Because I'd, yeah. I'd done a lot of striking before I'd done, ever done jiu-jitsu. And you just... if You're helpless. Yeah. You know, you're effectively helpless. If you... If, the best way to describe... Well, I mean, the early UFCs, it was basically these big, huge guys yeah. who you thought was gonna, were going to kill yeah. this little guy in a, in a white gear, in a white gear, looking scrawny, yeah. Hoist Gracie, and he would just, if you didn't know what was happening, as none of us yeah. did then, he would almost, he's like pouring them down like an animal. And it was unbelievable. It was amazing. Yeah, and, stra- and strangling them, slowly strangling them, and there was nothing they can do. And, and it's like that. If it is. If you can be quite good, you know. I'd done, it is, yeah. I'd done loads of striking. You, you, you roll with someone in jiu-jitsu and you just don't know what... I thought, I remember the first time I rolled with someone good, I'd done like three or four jiu-jitsu classes and it was a brown belt. And I thought he had like superhuman strength. Yeah. Because I don't understand what's happening to me. Well, the, the first jiu-jitsu guy I rolled with, the, the, the first class I went to... So it's a bit of a story in itself because Kevin told me go to the Roger Gracie Academy and he and and this was I guess two thousand either end of two thousand six beginning of two thousand seven and all I remember I sort of got home excited and I remember going to I don't know Ash Jeeves or Yahoo dot com or wherever it was in two thousand six and just googling Gracie London and two came up Carlson Gracie and Roger Gracie and I looked at the map and Carlson Gracie was close and I didn't. I thought they were probably connected. So my first class, I actually went to the Carlson Gracie. It was great. It was a fantastic class. It was a seminar. It was a, it was a two-hour seminar with a guy called Rodrigo Medeiros. And they just picked me a gear off the rack and said, you know, it's first class, you know, have a trial class. I think I might have paid a tenner or something. And it was a seminar. So I went to this seminar and we rolled for about 45 minutes at the end. And this blue belt guy, a little tiny scrawny guy, was just taking my back and he was talking in my ear and he was oh. saying, Yo, don't give up your back so easy, I'm going to choke you yeah, now. And he's I'm like whispering you, away. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Gonna to talking you me through and he just absolutely destroyed me. And then I got handed on to, there was a purple belt guy there called Barney, who I think is a black belt now. Simon Hayes was there. And I didn't know any of these people were at the time. I retrospectively looking back, I now know that they're important figures in the history of British Jiu-Jitsu. I could barely drive my car home afterwards. Yeah. I was so exhausted. My leg was shaking. I had to stop at a petrol station and get myself a LucasAid Sport. I was wrecked, but I was hooked. And I went back and um, Kevin said, how did you get on? And I said, look, you know, it was ridiculously difficult. I don't know how I got through the two hours. And he said, did you see such and such and such? And I was like, no, there was this guy called Simon who was, and there was this guy. And he said, oh, you went, you went to a different academy. Okay, so my I train with Maurizio, and he trains at Roger Gracie Academy. So the next class go there. So if things had been slightly different, I guess I probably would have ended up being a Carlson Gracie student. But because Kevin sort of said you should go to Rogers, I, my next class I went to the Roger Gracie Academy, and uh, and they had a like a beginners program. They had classes for white belts, and they were actually a little bit more accessible, a little bit less exhausting. And um, and Nick, who who became my my long term instructor, was teaching. The beginners program and he was a brand at the time and I sort of settled in in there then and I guess for about a year or so I, I kept going with the karate as well and then I just fell so in love with the jiu-jitsu that I, I realized I was just dragging myself along to the karate because I was a black belt in it and you know I, I felt that I should 
but I wasn't really getting any enjoyment out of it anymore. So I guess then beginning of 2008, I just went straight jiu-jitsu and, and, and left the, the karate behind completely. Yeah, it, it is a very, it's an addictive thing. It is. Um, I think you either, some people, it's just not for them. It isn't. Because, yeah. I mean, the downsides, because I did it for a bit years ago, and then, you know, life okay. changed and kind of forgot about it and injured and yeah, various things got in the way. And I, st I started properly again three years ago. And okay. Have a couple of weeks for holiday and injuries. But other than that, I've not, you know. It's not, really got, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, someone asked, someone, I can't remember who it was, they were talking about it some, on some other podcast. And someone said, simple, here's how you know. If someone offered you a million dollars, but you would never be yeah. able to train again. And I didn't think about yeah. it for a second. I mean, you suddenly think, yeah, well, the money would be nice, but I would... It's it, you, you wouldn't have it taken away from you. You know, it's up there with sleep, food, you know, yeah, and all. It's, it's I mean, you've part got, of your you've life. Got, yeah. You've got the health of your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, it's inc it's incredibly. Yeah, well, all my family train as well, and they wouldn't. Literally, all you know, my three kids and my wife, they all train. We all you know, we all train. So it's all got into it through you. Yeah, it was me first, uh, and then my son came next because he. He came and watched a few times. He came and sat on the side of the mats and he watched Dad hugging that man over there. What are you doing? And, mm. you know, that looks weird. And they started to get interested, ask some questions. And then he just, him and a couple of his friends, I guess about, I mean, he's 13 now, they were about eight. They, and I just started a little class for them, actually, in Kingston for about five or six of him, of him and his friends. And then my daughters then. And then eventually the kids talked my wife into it. And that was about four years ago. Okay. So they nagged, you know, maybe three, four, I mean, yeah, I think probably about four years ago. So she was the last to... to when when do you think it's a good time to start for the kids? I mean, as early as possible, mm. really. Because mine have done a bit, but my boy's five. I think I younger than about four or five, it's difficult to transfer yeah, the skills to them. He's there, I've seen him yeah. there, he was probably, yes, probably still four, and he was kind of looking around the room a little bit and I was thinking I mean I love teaching that age group because it's hilarious they're so funny they're all you yeah. know crazy personalities and it's just such a cool fun vibe on the mats but I, I, I keep it really simple you know what we show them and there's a lot of games and you, you know the games involve a lot of movements that I think are important grappling movements but I'm not teaching you know like you know, my son, you know, he's in like a teenage class. You know, you know, they're learning takedown, spider guard, you know, all sorts of cool stuff. Loads of submissions, but you have to to break them in slowly. And I think the learning curve accelerates as they get older. You do get the odd exceptional kid who's just ridiculously athletic and gifted, and they'll pick up anything. But they're, for me, less common than the kids who just want to have fun with it. And you've got to make it fun for them. Mm. Uh, but I think you know, start when they can. Yeah, I've seen I've seen people just walk out of a class. I'd say that there's a lady came into ours and she saw what was going on. And she said, "This is this is not for me." Yeah, and I think other people because you mentioned the hugging. Yeah, you've got to be comfortable with the personal space. Yeah, haven't you? Because you're going to have. It's not for everyone. The whole jujitsu is for everyone. I, thing. I remember thinking this is not yeah, for me because yeah. oh, I remember thinking it's you know it's, a, it's too much. Yeah, people sweating all over you. Yeah, you know, I mean you know you people sweating. Yeah, I mean you know sweating your eye. You know. That, that's you know sweat in your mouth <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, not for everyone for me like who cares but for a lot of people it's unpleasant I, you know I, I think it's I think that I think making you uncomfortable is quite a good aspect of it I'm not it saying is, it's yeah. necessarily good to have someone sweat in your eye but the fact no, that, that you no, I could live with that too but it's just part and parcel of it I think I think making you uncomfortable is an, is an important thing reason why it's 
a good thing for anyone. You, you no. put yourself through a lot of adversity with it, and yeah. it's that adversity can be physical and it can be mental because we've all tortured ourselves about something that's happened in a role, or you know. You, so you can, you know, I've certainly gone away and, and ruminated on things. I think I could have done that better or this better. I mean, not so much now. I mean, it doesn't affect me so much now. But the, and there's the physical adversity of just having someone clamping down inside control when you're a white belt and just you can't get out and you're just stuck there. Yeah, <laughs> it's very and I think some people just find it very frustrating, even though they might like doing jujitsu. They, yeah. they don't like like it to the point where it hampers their progress. Yeah, because they're cross. Yeah, and. Uh, some people really embrace it and some people just, just can't and I think that's fine you know if it's not for you it's not for you and I think that's absolutely fine did you ever have times when you kind of it wasn't the training wasn't going well or uh, you injuries kind of, really injuries. injury I had, I had when I was a blue belt I had a lot of injury problems broken ribs sublux both my I'm sitting up straight yeah. my spine out because it's a thing isn't it yeah it is back, back problem for me I had back problems I encountered late purple belt through brown belt at a point where I wasn't going to stop training so I was just getting on the mats in pain and I was just still getting on with it and I, and I look back at that phase and I think maybe I didn't handle that as well as I could but I, I would no way you know you'd have had well, to amputate both my legs to stop I, you know the injuries I wasn't going to take time off you know because I was teaching so I was going onto the mats and I was, you know, it would take me 40 minutes to loosen my body up before I could move and then on the next day I couldn't put my socks on and so at that stage, nothing. You know, I just was determined not not to stop training. And was that the right thing to do? Probably not. No, no, looking back, you know. But blue belt, I had a, you know, a couple of times I had to take, you know, a couple of months out through injury, and it was extremely frustrating. And uh, I found it very difficult to to get through that blue belt, to be honest, um, yeah. because I, it was so hit and miss for me. You know, as soon as I get myself fit, something else would happen. You know, I hyperextended my elbow once, and that was another few weeks off, and then separated my left shoulder you know and then that one got better and then I separated the other one and then I broke a rib and you know it was just everything yeah. so you, you, it was very stop start and it's very frustrating if you can't get on a run of, of good training it's the thing isn't it that whenever I go training the guys you, we always talk about injuries because yeah. everyone's got something going on yeah. you know, you've got ongoing ones you've got little niggles you know, knocks that you've picked up. When I look back, I think that some of the injuries were caused by me not understanding the situation that I was in and struggling in places where you should be relaxing or not tapping at a stage, you know, when you think you have more time than you have and that kind of thing. And I think as, a, as you get more, you know, proficient as a, as a grappler, I think you understand where those kind of danger areas are and you can steer yourself through them a little bit more. Mm. You know, I'm not saying, you, you know, you're immune to injuries, certainly not, but, you know, definitely I can, you know, I can recognise, okay, I need to just be calm here now and maybe not turn my knee that way. Mm. Or, you know... I've got a guy on me here who, I'm, you know, if I'm bridging explosively into a guy who's 130 kilos, my back is going to be sore tomorrow. Mm. So maybe I'm just going to chill here and go with the flow and just be a bit more accepting of the situation and not struggle so much. But I think that comes with, with time. Mm. Do, you, do you think being a trained doctor when you started teaching, did it help you? Did you your kind of knowledge of anatomy and... I think it helps a, a little bit, yeah. I don't, I, 
it can help and it can it can be a hindrance because if I start talking to, to my students and say, okay, to do this cross collar choke, you want to, uh, you know, perfectly align your radial <laughs> styloid with the carotid artery, you know, on the lateral side of the neck, uh, you yeah. know, and then you know, medially rotate yeah. your your elbow. I mean, I'm going to lose everybody. Sensei's gone funny. Yeah, <laughs> but but certainly, you know, if you can transfer that knowledge, that anatomical knowledge in a in a simple way to your students, it gives them an advantage. In, in terms of understanding the technique and I, I'm sure it does help and I think probably the thing that helped me more than anything was that I taught a lot as a doctor I taught recess skills to the army guys at Frimley and I taught you know medical students and I taught on trauma courses and to be to teach on those courses you have to go through a lot of teacher training and you learn you know teaching skills so that was very helpful in terms of becoming an instructor because I knew I knew that I had a certain framework that I could pin everything on I could hang everything off this framework this teaching framework that I knew worked because I'd taught people before so I wasn't so although teaching jiu-jitsu is very different to, to teaching recess there's enough similarity in terms of how you transfer the knowledge that I think it helped me but I guess that's not that's teaching skills not medical skills but I did get that from medicine I, I suppose I suppose there's this lay person's idea that they think they I, maybe they think doctors kind of have a deeper understanding of health and their own body than they than they do you know I don't I do because I don't know we talked about this a little bit before about how much of medical training is actually about making you healthy and how much of it yeah. is actually about fi- fi- I mean in your job is yeah I mean I was you know, the clearest type of actually yeah, fixing I something was that's sewing people back together trauma. and you know pulling shoulders and, uh, and that kind of thing so it, it, it it's not very helpful although you know I have once reduced a shoulder post-training where someone dislocated a shoulder and I popped it back in okay so yeah. that was helpful I guess but you know how many times are you going to encounter that not often well we've got a guy in our gym Jack who's you know he's glued up my yeah eye. he's done loads That's of helpful. them he's ha- he has as far as is I'm that aware, Polish no, Jack no Polish Jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Jack yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Done pretty yeah. good pretty good work though. he did a good job yeah he explained yeah. That it was not his first time yeah. I just got a he- you know, headbutt to the eye yeah. Yeah, that included I mean, us for me. Perfectly sensible thing to do is to and he clean said, it. He said, he, he said in his no-nonsense way, you can go and queue up at casualty and have it done in a couple of hours. Jack and is it, a particularly no-nonsense By which time it'll be very sore. Yeah. Or you can lie down yeah, on the yeah, bench yeah. and I'll do it with some super Well, it's the same with the shoulder. If you leave a shoulder out for an hour, it's going to be really hard to get mm. back in. If you can get on it within a couple of minutes, it'll generally go back in pretty quickly. But you don't want to be outside of the department yanking people's arms and stuff too much you know if you can't it was it was a decision to just gently hmm. manipulate it it just popped straight back in I wasn't going to take him at the back and start yanking and pulling like you would in a, in a recess of A&E hmm. you know if I hadn't gone back in easily you know I'd have got the guy taken back up to A&E you've got to be sensible about yeah you know the environment that you're in I guess what I was thinking is it's a strange thing because like, doctors as we know possibly aren't as healthy as people as they it's a really unhealthy job I mean you know if you think about you're working shift patterns you're working well I used to work weeks and nights I mean they moved to split weeks the last few years of my career but you're not sleeping well you can't sleep in the day you don't eat right you're under enormous amounts of stress a lot of doctors drink and smoke and don't take exercise and are overweight and, and that's part and parcel of the nature of the job because you're working so many hours on a day-to-day basis that it's very hard to fit anything else in and it's very stressful so to try and unwind quickly 
you have a few limited options. I found jujitsu, which you can unwind pretty quickly. But you know, likewise, going to the pub and having a few pints is a legitimate way of unwinding pretty quickly. And a lot of my colleagues went down that route. And if you sat at a desk all day in a really stressful environment, you know, seeing people that are ill and have problems, and and you share those problems with them, and you you know you take on board part of those problems each time you see a patient, then maybe the, you know you have to go to the pub to unwind, or you have to you know. You, if, you, if you're doing, you, do, you need something. You don't need something, you? yeah. And I think I mean, so obviously that's a very traumatic job. Most people's jobs, they're not traumatic. No. They're they're tedious. Yeah, and I, and I think they need something as well. They do, yeah. Because tedious, it's not okay. It's not. Yeah. As, it's not as horrible as you know, seeing horrible tra- traumatic things in in your previous line of work, or you know, policemen or various soldiers mm. and things like that. But doing tedious things has a terrible effect on people in it other does, ways. Yeah. You know, it kind of crushes their spirit. And yeah. I think doing something. I mean, I'm thinking why jujitsu is so appealing, and I think a lot of it is because you're being like an animal. I think we all need that play, don't yeah. we? We need that. We need that as adult play. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get, I mean, yeah, it's you, fun. It's, it's, it's fun. It's yeah. super fun. I mean, let's you know, we're not beating around the bush. We do jujitsu because it's really enjoyable. It's really good fun. And there's a camaraderie that goes with it that I haven't experienced in anything else. I mean, I played rugby for years and years, and I did other martial arts, but I've never had. I've never found anywhere else that degree of friendship and camaraderie with with, my, with the people that I train with in, in any other thing. And it is almost like when I go to teach, or you know, if one of the other guys is teaching, because we have some you know some really good instructors in in in, in the club, it's just going to hang out with my friends and have fun with my friends, and and you know, and it, it's just it's a very unique thing I think from that perspective. I think people think it's. Because it's martial arts, it's kind of people being tough and macho, and obviously there's there's an aspect there to it. Some that, of know. the guys look, yeah, they do. The man got ears and stuff, but certainly for me, compared to the karate clubs and kickboxing clubs I've been to, it's a totally different atmosphere. It's so relaxed because right? kickboxing, particularly, yeah. there was this very kind of like, oh, yeah. I'm tougher than you think. Going yeah, on, and people wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't welcome new yeah. faces that come in. Whereas jujitsu is very much about trying to make people feel well. It, it is. I mean, I, you know, the. I mean, you look at Maurizio, okay, who, you know, Roger Gracie's father, who I, I train with Maurizio quite a, quite a bit. I mean, he is tougher than everyone else there, you know, apart from maybe Roger. I mean, who's tougher than Maurizio? Nobody. And you will never meet a more friendly, welcoming person that will embrace you into his class. You know, it's just such a wonderfully, you know, pleasant guy to be around just and, and, and so um, charismatic and, and you, I, I never found anyone else like that in other in other martial arts you know it just you just the, the, almost the guys I were training with wanted to prove a point or wanted to show that they were the toughest guy in the room they would often hide from sparring with their students or you know they wouldn't engage in in, in, in the more confrontational aspect of the, of the art particularly as they got older you got a guy like Maurizio, he'll roll with you, he's 62, he'll beat you up mm. if you want him to. There's and a thing about jiu-jitsu, there's no, there's no hiding. You can't hide, yeah. Because it, with striking, there's there's always this thing, people are hold, they're holding back. Yeah, yeah, If I were in the street, you know, really I would, you know, I would you know, get you in my yeah. secret death punch to I, the yeah, eyeball yeah, or whatever. If I hit yeah. you full power, you know, all yeah. that bullshit. But, but yeah, jiu-jitsu, you're, yeah. you're finding out every time you go on the map exactly, how yeah. good you are. So nobody... Nobody peacocks because 
No. There's no, no. There's no place no. for it. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. You might see someone the, the first yeah. time they come in like that, but yeah. they don't. They, and they don't come back. No, they don't. They well, don't yeah, whenever back. you get someone yeah. who's got, you know, it you, get, you get it all the time. You get yeah. someone who's, oh, yeah. he, he's got attitude and, you, and you, you're really nice to them and you know you'll never see them again. Never maybe back. I'll come yeah. back once. Yeah, but. Yeah. Because the, the little computer nerd in the corner is just taking his back six times and choked and, him. And it's, it's very yeah, hard for the... Yeah, some big tough guy has been choked up. Yeah, I know. Some, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah. It's a great thing. But yeah, it's just weather. I mean, I'm, how old are you? You said you're... 42. Yeah, yeah. so I'm 44. So it, I want to I be training my whole life. Yeah, and that's it's, the goal, right? It's kind of, you're looking at that. You just hope bits don't break down yeah. on you. Have the unhealthy life before. Do you kind of eat right? No, yeah. Are you clean now? I mean, I, I don't do a lot of supplemental training outside of jiu-jitsu because I do a lot of jiu-jitsu I do try I mean uh, I had I've had some problems with my elbow recently some tendonitis where I had to have a few weeks off and I, and I did a little bit of running and I've been enjoying a little bit of running and, and, and that kind of thing but for the most part I stay in shape by lifting people on the mats mm. you know and, and having good training you know having good training partners to, to push me physically and very lucky from that perspective that I don't really have to do a lot of physical exercise exercise outside of of jiu-jitsu I do do a little bit of stuff do some yoga and some stretching and I think that's become very important to me over the last few years because particularly when I had the back problems that was the thing that gradually because it's got tough me. on your back it is it's tough, tough on your back, back. and your, yeah. your neck and your shoulder well it's yeah. tough on everything you get really. stacked past all the time and yeah that kind I of think thing. the one thing I'm aware of not wanting to do is not lie on my back having my back yeah, because you don't have to. Yeah. Do I mean, he, I guess yeah. it's a it's a game. If yeah, Eddie Bravo did himself. As far yeah, as and he's messed his up, knees up with rubber guard and that kind of thing. I guess I, I don't know the details. I know he's had a lot of knee surgeries. Yeah, but, I think yeah. I think, but as far as I understand it, his his game involved yeah people bigger than him. And he was him. And he would, he, super flexible guy, you know, the, contorting, the, his, contorting his body. I like. I mean, my game is super simple. <laughs> you know, very basic. You know, I'm from that. You know, Maurizio. Roger Gracie lineage, so I'm not, I'm not Baron Bowling yeah, or anything yeah. like that. You know, oh, I know okay. how to do I, it. I, I, you, I know, know, to, you know, so oh, but but it's not like a huge part of my game. You know, right. I like to play close guard and, and you know and try and stay on top as much as I can. You know, and that kind of thing. And do but you, do you think um do you think the training helps you in other aspects of your life in terms of I don't know f- facing other difficulties? You, Mentally, nothing in my life has helped me more than jiu-jitsu. And, you know, when I look back at those last four or five years of being a doctor where I did suffer greatly with anxiety and stress and insomnia and other things, the jiu-jitsu really pieced me back together. And I don't understand necessarily how or why it did it, but it did it. And it helped me tremendously psychologically. It's almost like a meditative state, I think, when you're rolling. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I try to meditate. I've got a very active mind. I find it difficult to meditate. But you know, we got, we do an hour's sp- uh, like a like a time rounds sparring class on a Saturday morning. Obviously, we do loads of other sparring in the week. We have an open mat on a Sunday. But this is like a business-like hour where you're going to go in and do you know eight to ten rounds. And I don't think about anything in that hour. I'm just there, just in that moment. You know, fighting for my life against these guys that all want to kill me. <laughs> you know, you're always glad you've gone. This is what I've, 
because the, on the on the, on the rare, I'm I'm never kind of looking yeah. for excuses not to go. I go as much as my life will yeah. allow. Um, but on the times where you're not sure if you're going to make it, I'm yeah, not sure if you yeah. can. You go. Oh, I'll, Don't really I'll have that option in. because I have to be there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly. But, but when you've gone, you just yeah. feel, you feel great. And Always feel like, phenomenal. That 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 Saturday for me, I don't, I don't. Um, Alan takes the classes on the Sunday for the most part now. Who's 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 uh, one of the other instructors? Uh, excellent instructor in, in, in at the club. So I, I take Sundays pretty much off now. I kind of rest and stretch and try and loosen myself up. But that hour, that's the end of my week's training. And I don't train again then until Monday, Monday evening. Um, so you're a bit smart. Do you do you roll a bit lighter now generally? Uh, yeah, I've I've changed a lot over the last few years. I now try to limit the number of rolls I do with guys who are massively heavier than me. I'm I'm mm. five foot seven. I weigh just under eleven stone. I'm not the world's biggest biggest guy, and I've made my peace with that now. And there was a stage where you know I'd be taking on everyone like a sort of ego issue almost. I'd want you know if I'm not rolling with with a hundred kilo guy every other round, and you know I'm I'm, I'm not testing myself. And now I've realised that I need to take nights off where I'll teach, but I won't won't roll. If I in the Saturday morning class now we've got a lot of purple belts and brown belts. Most of them are, are big guys. I'm trying to limit myself to maybe two or three rounds with those guys, and then you know the other rounds I'm going to be doing with guys who are my size who are going to be blue belts or white mm. belts who are not going to push me to the point where you know I don't want to get into that state again where I, where I am having to get my wife to help me put my socks on in the morning yeah. you know it's just not wise I usually do an hour at Rogers uh, or an hour, an hour hour and a half at Rogers sparring with, with my friends at, at some point in the week that's tough because they're all black belts brown belts untimed rounds you know I did a 38 minute round with Darren the other week you know 38 minutes so that was just but it's very gentlemanly very relaxed you know you can't go at each other trying to kill each other for 38 minutes you just you've got to be able to be calm and relaxed in that period of time you can't go balls to the wall for 38 minutes so I'm I'm definitely smarter about how I approach it now finding that balance is really hard yeah that's the thing I've struggled with is you you know, you want to you want to push yourself because yeah. you don't want to kind of be sitting back. But you, it's you, dependent on you and your partner as well. Because if yeah. you want to sit back and that guy just wants to to go hammer and nails at it, mm. then you have to ramp your you have to mm. ramp up. You have to, you and you just you find out there are certain people yeah. that are better to roll with than others. Yeah, if you look at the numbers, you get as if you roll with loads of kind of I don't know big MMA guys yeah. who are maybe on the way up and looking at yeah, the yeah, sport yeah. from a different yeah. from a different perspective. I mean, they're looking at uh, crushing well, everyone. And Nick Nick doesn't roll white belts at all anymore. You know my my instructor. He you know he just a couple of years ago he just said to me I don't roll with white belts anymore. You know he said they're the biggest injury risk to me. This mm. is how I make my living. No, I roll with my white belts definitely, but. I give him a few classes to sell, <laughs> you know. Mm. Especially a guy, you know, who might come in who's a played, you know, professional prop forward for Harlequins or something and he weighs 125 kilos. I'm just gonna give that guy a month to acclimatise to the rules of engagement before he tries to snap my fingers off and, you know, crank my neck and that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had that when I grabbed yeah. all the fingers and you yeah, go, well, yeah, we I don't mind grabbing all of them, but it's yeah. when they grab one. <laughs> yeah. so, well, grabbing all of them I can deal with, but it's, it's yeah, when, they, when you know, when you've, you've got one finger being yanked perpendicularly back yeah. on itself and by a guy who's twice as strong as you. It's, it's quite good to sometimes to know what untrained erratic people do. Yeah, you know? it is. Like my yeah. kids, they'll you know that you'll 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 realise that you'll get 
head yeah head will yeah, come in yeah, from various yeah, angles yeah, just because yeah, they're, yeah. they're they're a kid and they're thinking yeah. what can I do or fish hooking yeah, and all the things yeah, you're yeah. not allowed to do. But I've got so many good training partners now. You know, when I when I, when I first started teaching in Kingston, I had to go elsewhere to get those tough roles in. And now, you know, Saturday morning, you know, with guys, you know, we got I'll name drop a few like Alan and Andreas and and uh, and uh, Simon and and James James and, and and Anthony and all those guys. Those purple belt Yang. It's really challenging for me to roll with those guys. Now they've got really really good. They've been training some of them six, eight, ten years now. So I've got no shortage of, of good people to train with there. So I'm really in that in that fortunate position. Where, you know, when you first start teaching at a club and you've just got half a dozen white belts, it's very difficult to, to give yourself that, that challenge that you need to, to be being pushed. Yeah, know. see my club, yeah. Roger Gracie in Richmond, was a bit like that. Yeah. Tons of tons of white belts, but because it's been going a few years once you go a few years everyone gets good it's great and it's great because it's well I've rolled with Trent quite a few times you know and I trained with Trent quite a bit back in the day and I know he's tough Hmm. and he's still a blue belt you know he must be close to purple belt now but um, and you've got Tomek there who's exceptionally very 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 good and it's good to see all the people a lot of them started together and they come up together some of them yeah I mean I've got guys purple belts now I had this problem with my elbow with the tendonitis I couldn't roll for almost eight weeks and when I came back and I started rolling with, with some of the guys, I mean, they've got so much better in eight weeks, like the purple belts. You know, I'm like, oh, you know. But you have, but you have that friendly competition. It, yeah. It's nice, the guys you've, that you've, you've kind of come up with. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you have, you'll have a friendly rivalry. Yeah. And yeah, it has yeah, to yeah, be yeah, by yeah. that stage. Yeah. Because if you were going to fall out you know, yeah, by that yeah. stage, you'd have done it. You know, I'm, I'm, I guess my best training partner, well, my main training partner is, is Alan, because he's there teaching all the classes with me. He's a brown belt. And Alan's an interesting story in itself because he, he started judo when he was five. So he's also 42. So he's been on the mats grappling for like 37 years wow. and was always a Nawaza specialist in judo. And then for several years did a lot of no-gi MMA stuff. You know, so he was grappling no-gi. And then, you know, I, I guess started doing, you know, formal jiu-jitsu, I guess, four or five years ago. He's a brown belt now. And the depth of grappling knowledge that the guy has, and you know, and and, and also just a, a slightly different take on grappling because he utilizes some stuff that is emphasized more in judo perhaps than we emphasize it. And let's be honest about this: they're the same art. You know, we just have a slightly different rule set. There's no distinction between judo and jujitsu. You know, they just we just emphasize different different aspects of the art. So that guy is particularly <laughs> challenging to roll with, and um, and really fun, really fun to roll with as well. You know. Uh, do yeah. you still feel you're, like you're learning? Yeah. All the time? Oh my God, yeah. Because I guess, at my level, you look at black belts and think, oh, you've learned, like, you've learned everything uh, now. But. So, I'll give you an example of this. Scissor sweep, okay? You learnt the scissor sweep, I think, second week as a white belt or something. At, at Rogers, you know, got taught that technique. I've been doing it the same way for 12 years or so. And then in the summer, I was with Maurizio and he said, oh, he said, you don't want to do it that way. He said, you're doing it wrong. And, and then uh, he spent like an hour blowing my mind about the scissor sweep and showing me all these different... He said, you know, this is the way we show it, you know, when you first start because it's difficult, but it's not going to work on high-level guys and you have to guide them so that they step this foot up and then it balances them this way and then you'll get it to work. And don't put your knee here, put your knee here. And you can put your foot under the, the, the back of their knee here or you can put your foot on their knee. And, and, and all of a sudden, you, I felt like... I was a white belt again, mm. being taught how to do the most basic technique that I thought I had absolutely down. And I had to completely go away 
and re reassess how I did that technique and the situations in which I, I tried to make it work. And all of a sudden, the technique that was lost to me on purple belts, I'm hitting on higher grades again because I've been, you know, I've been shown a different way of looking at it. It's these details that's fascinating about it. That it's um, we talked about the physical aspect, but the mental aspect. I mean, it's a properly difficult thing. Yeah, I mean, it's endless. Talk about the chest moves in yeah. the head, but. Striking is, there is yeah. a lot of sophistication to striking, but you could sit down in five minutes and run you through, these are the techniques yeah. I know. Yeah. These are, yeah. You know, and it wouldn't take yeah, very yeah. long. All right, you can spend years perfecting yeah, yeah, them yeah. and your timing, your distance, and all these things. I'm saying it's a, it's a high level up, but there's not that much yeah. to it. Whereas Jiu Jitsu. I mean, I and, mean, and how many times so have you been in a situation where you, you, you're doing a technique and to all intents and purposes, you seem to be doing it right, but you can't make it work. And then one day you're in a role with a guy who's a higher grade or perhaps he just uses his technique and he's going and he just sort of says oh, if you just move your hips this way or you just adjust this grip slightly or just move your hand this way and then all of a sudden that technique works and it's just like a little missing piece of a jigsaw puzzle that you just so there's so much detail hmm. and so much hidden depth to, to what you're doing that it's you know grappling is a is a very very challenging thing hmm. to, to, to master and, and, and get good at definitely is Look, it's great to talk to you, Mark Barton, head instructor at Jiu Jitsu Brother in London. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Mark Barton. His Jiu Jitsu Academy can be found at jujitsubrotherhoodlondon.com. The Healthy Beast can be found at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.